The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia for this Thursday, May 18th in Hong Kong, Wednesday, May 17th in New York. And coming up today... U.S. stocks rise on hopes Washington lawmakers will reach a deal to avoid default. Cisco orders slow as its customers weigh an uncertain economic outlook. And Tencent posts its fastest pace of revenue growth in more than a year. India's Modi to go ahead with Australia trip. Biden on the way to Japan says quad can happen there. China finds comedian for insults to the PLA. And top Taco Tuesday trademark TIFF turbocharges. I'm Ed Baxter with Global News. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Available on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. That U.S. stocks rose on speculation that a narrower group of, of negotiators in Washington w- will be able to break this deadlock on raising the debt ceiling. This comes with the government potentially just two weeks away from a payments default. President Biden expressed confidence that there will be no default. And House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said reaching an agreement this week is doable. In the meantime, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon maybe damning with fate praise, said the U.S. government probably will not default on its debts. But Diamond said his bank is ready for all possibilities. Everyone wants a strong financial system. Whatever it is, we will be prepared. Diamond Citigroup CEO Jane Fraser and other top bank executives met today with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. They discussed the debt limit at Schumer's direct request. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is also expected to gather with finance chiefs this week. Yellen has warned that her department could run out of sufficient cash to make good on all federal obligations by the 1st of June. After the bell, we heard from Cisco Systems, the company saying that orders fell 23 percent in the past quarter. The story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. Cisco is the largest maker of machines that run corporate networks and the internet. It did deliver a strong sales forecast that topped analyst projections. CEO Chuck Robbins says demand remains steady and an improved supply chain is giving customers greater confidence to purchase equipment to cope with an ever-increasing flow of data. He says order cancellations also are well below historic levels. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak And right now, shares in Cisco down 4.3% in the late U.S. session. Brian? A panel that oversees the credit default swaps market has issued a ruling on Credit Suisse. Bloomberg's Ann Cates with the story. 
The Credit Derivatives Determinations Committee says the write-down of Credit Suisse additional Tier 1 notes will not trigger an insurance payout. The securities had been at the center of a heated market debate. On one side, funds including 463 Capital and Diameter Capital Partners had been betting that the panel will call for a payout. Meanwhile, traders and strategists at Citigroup, Barclays and J.P. Morgan Chase have been telling their clients that a payout would be unlikely. In Washington, Ann Cates, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Tencent Holdings posted its fastest pace of revenue growth in more than a year. We have that story from Bloomberg's Joanne Wong. China's most valuable companies as sales gained 11% in the prior quarter and advertising jumped 17%. Tencent's fintech and cloud arm also returned to double-digit growth, but net income fell short of the mark. This comes as China's reopening boosted economic activity. Advertising and gaming are only now emerging from regulatory crackdowns and COVID restrictions. To revitalize the business, Tencent aims to integrate AI capabilities across its products. But investors will be watching costs as the company builds out as cloud surface. Just this week, the WeChat operator cut prices for some of its core cloud products by as much as 40%. Tencent's ADR gained 1.8% in New York. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Huahong Semiconductor has received a green light for its second listing on the Shanghai Starboard. That story from Bloomberg's Yvonne Mann. At $2.6 billion, the listing would be China's biggest so far this year. Huahong is already listed in Hong Kong and just got Shanghai approval yesterday. The company still has to register its plans with the regulator, and there's no timeline yet for the Shanghai listing. But Beijing is supporting the sector, and the plans may move forward quickly. China is trying to counter U.S. moves to block Chinese access to high-level technologies. In Hong Kong, I'm Yvonne Mann, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Doug Krisner. Doug, we did have the shares of Huahong yesterday uh, in Hong Kong trade down 4.8%, but that, that story could move along quite quickly, as we, as we heard there. In terms of the rally on Wall Street, um, we, you mentioned that investors took some heart from the debt ceiling uh, discussions, but one wonders about that. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy saying that uh, an agreement is doable this week, but I think if it translated, that means, you know, if you come over to our our side. Well, you kind of uh, were talking a moment ago about uh, the pressure that Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, was applying uh, in that meeting with uh, Chuck Schumer. Other bank executives were a part of the conversation, too. And I think the pressure is on. But obviously, Sh- Schumer is in their camp, right? It's McCarthy and, and the Republicans that are going to be pushing back. They want to see reductions in spending. Now, McCarthy did say, yeah, maybe something is doable this week. But you're right. There is a fair amount of risk. And it's kind of surprising today that we had as much optimism as we did in the equity market. Yeah, absolutely. Just about every sector higher today. Uh, as you said, banking played a role today, which is, uh, I'm sure, welcomed by many. You know, we've made a lot of the big tech stocks as dominating uh, the numbers this year. Uh, and I've sort of made a lot on this show about uh, how the equal weight uh, stock index is only uh, just flat for the year. But if you go back three years, this is pretty interesting. If you go back three years, the equal weight S&P 500 has outperformed the NASDAQ 100. So maybe one of the stories this year is not so much just pure tech outperformance, but mean reversion. Yeah, and maybe we can bring into the conversation the possibility that the market is still convinced that we're going to see rate cuts Mm. by the end of the year. I know you and I have spoken a lot about this. Certainly, that's not what we're hearing from the Fed. The question is, maybe the market is right and the Fed is wrong. 
Yeah, you know, these um, these hedge fund groupings that we've had, uh, both uh, so was it Sun and um, uh, the Sun talks here, and then you had one in the States, uh, it seems like some big investors are saying they do expect rate cuts this year, but I think for most of them, it's really towards the end of the year. So does it matter all that much if it's like November versus, say, March of next year? Perhaps not so much. Uh, maybe just a quick word on Tencent before we get uh, into the news. Uh, Tencent had some modest improvements there and the and the stock was rewarded both in Amsterdam and also um, in the ADRs uh, but Bloomberg Intelligence says the momentum might not be sustained still I think it may provide a little sucker in Hong Kong today so an interesting one to watch on our show all right it's time for global news India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi says he will visit Australia next week as scheduled this even though the full quad meetings will not be held in Sydney. Ed Baxter has global news. Ed? Yeah, that's right, Brian. The U.S. President Joe Biden shortened his trip. Modi will meet, though, with Australian Broadcasting Commission, have a bilateral meeting with Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, and uh, take part in a very public rally at Sydney's Homebush Arena. Meanwhile, President Biden on his way to Japan, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on Air Force One says the quad can meet in Hiroshima. By the way, the country's in the quad because both Australia and India will be in Hiroshima, and he will have the opportunity to engage with them there. And Sullivan says the work with the Quad and with the G7 is very important, along with the debt ceiling talks. Sullivan says the U.S. will have a package of sanctions associated with a G7 statement regarding Ukraine. Meanwhile, the president before departing said he is confident things will get done regarding the debt ceiling. This negotiation is about the outlines of what the budget will look like, not about whether or not we're going to, in fact, pair debts. So he feels comfortable in meeting away for a few days. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham agrees. I want him to go because, you know, we need our president at the G7 meeting. And we know how this ends. There's going to be a deal. There's no use, you know, blowing up everybody's break and having the president not go to Australia. I just think it's silly, quite frankly. And House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says work can be done in the United States. Now, the president and Leader Schumer have finally backed off their idea that they won't negotiate. They finally backed off the insane, unrational, unsensible idea that you just raise the debt ceiling. Uh, McCarthy says negotiations will go on, but ultimately it'll be up to the president at this point. And Bloomberg's Laura Davison says, uh, well, the mood does really seem to be a bit better. They're at least talking about the issues now. They're talking mm-hmm. about specific things like food benefits and, and various concessions mm-hmm. that each side might give. But they're nowhere near you know, a deal being done by, you know, say, Friday. So another day, another step, question mark. And it's the Taco Tuesday trademark tiff. Taco Bell has filed petition with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office to avoid the Taco Tuesday trademark held by Wyoming-based Taco John's. Taco John employee Emmanuel Sandoval says this should not happen. I mean, we've been doing it for the longest, so I feel like we we should own it. You know, we have the right to own it. You know, because it's our Taco Tuesday. Now, Taco Bell argues. Depriving the world of using the term Taco Tuesday is like depriving the world of sunshine itself. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. And thank you very much. I'm Brian Curtis in Hong Kong, along with Rashad Salamat. Our guest is Catherine Kaminsky, Chief Research Strategist and Portfolio Manager at Alpha Simplex Group. Katie, thanks very much for, for joining us. We mentioned that it was a pretty broad rally today. Nice to see some breadth in the market. Only utilities and consumer staples were down out of um, all the different segments. Uh, were you buying that rally today? Well, I'd have to say we've been long. Um, so I'd say that this rally is sort of a respite from people treading water from what we've seen, all this worry about a debt ceiling. And I think that the signals are long in equities on the technical side. Yeah. The question is, you are seeing that, that. <laughs> yeah. the, the people are at the moment just uh, looking at everything with the glass half, half empty. And, uh, you know, what's going to really change that ultimately? Well, I think the really big challenge right now is that if you look across different asset classes, the markets don't agree. So the equity markets are looking for hope. They're looking for this soft landing and they're sort of treading water, waiting to see that we can sort of get through some of the tightening that we've already been through. Whereas the bond market, in my opinion, is still very pessimistic, still pricing in a recession and inflation numbers are supporting some of that issue. And I think that's where you're going to see the bigger moves later this year is we got to watch the bond market to tell uh, what's really going to happen. So I think that's why it's really hard to say is that there's totally different views, even across asset classes. Could you see a retest of the October lows? Definitely. I mean, I think for us, we're kind of cross asset and we often look at um, patterns across different asset classes and how that may change over time. And what we've really seen is that the bond markets have been leading the way since last year. And what we're looking for, I think, to be the catalyst is at some point people saying, wait a minute, inflation stickier, long term cash flows might actually have to adjust even further. And that's where you're going to start to see the potential um, downturn comes in the bond market first. And then everyone has to say, like, wait a minute, here comes the recession that that we've been looking for, perhaps. Will we have one, though? That's the thing here, Catherine. We'll see. I mean, I think that's the big challenge. Like, um, you know, that's why I'm saying maybe the equity markets aren't where you look first, because the equity markets seem to be optimistic until it's obvious. Um, yeah, I we think saw even, that during COVID. <laughs> yeah. Sir. Oh, I was just yeah. going to say, even even some of the bulls, though, you know, they, they see perhaps a mild recession, but then they think that, you know, that leads the Fed to cut and they're willing to look out, you know, nine months or a year because that's sort of what they do in, in equities. Um, I was listening to Mark Lazary at, at Sun, and, you know, he, he definitely thinks the Fed will cut later this year. Is there a way to make a cut into 
a bullish reading for you? I don't see that at all. Like I'm on the other side of the fence. Like I really think that the only way we're going to have a cut is if we have very serious deterioration in financial conditions. And for me, that's not a positive equity signal. Um, I think people just want this to go away and they want things to go back to the way it was. And, and, you know, cuts would be an easy way to get there. But there's really no motivation when you have inflation at much higher than target levels to actually do that. Well, Catherine, I mean, that's the, the, the question I've been asking people, because it does seem as though people want to go back to the whole notion of the, the easy free money that we've had for the last decade and beyond. And it's kind of like, I, I just want to be back in my comfort zone. So I'm going to uh, believe uh, that they're going to cut because I want that to come true. Of course. I mean, who wouldn't? Right. I mean, I think that's the challenge is if you look over longer history, Higher interest rates is not a weird thing. Low interest rates like we've had is actually a very rare thing. And so I think for us, what's interesting is different cycles where you've seen rising rates, you actually see very different behavior in the bond markets, very different asset correlations. And we've seen all that since last year. So I expect it to be more of the same of last year than what we had in the past. I think we've really changed to a new regime, unfortunately. Do you get a little nervous when you see some of these big whale investors, uh, Paul Tudor Jones, Steve Cohen, folks like that, turning turning more bullish on, on equities? Well, I think there's still a bullish story on equities because in, in the short run, there's moderate inflation, and that tends to be good for equities in the short run. The question is, how short is the short run, right? And this is what you're trying to ask me as well, is that, is it a year? Is it six months, of course, you know, their time horizons may be a little shorter than your long-term investor. And I think that's where the challenge is, is that different people are thinking on different horizons in this market. So what is the ideal portfolio? What does it look like? Well, right now, the signals that I'm seeing are definitely still long equities, but they're still short bonds, which I think is a little different than most people. Um, commodities have been short because they've been trading more in a recessionary fashion, demand uh, retraction uh, kind of positioning. So I'd say the best positioning is to be shorter duration and also to be a little cautious in your equity exposure and make sure that you're not too overly bullish um, if we should have uh, a sort of a repeat of last year. So, Katie, you're on a show that focuses on Asia. Obviously, in the first hour, we do spend a lot of time wrapping up the Wall Street action. That helps feed through into a narrative here in Asia. Are you very well invested in Asia? And if so, what do you like? So what's interesting is right now we're seeing some interesting divergence in Asia in terms of indices and also um, in the currency markets. Particularly, you see this short positioning in China, short positioning in EM, crossed with long positioning in Australia and particularly long positioning in Japan. Um, some of that we can talk about in a second, but you're also seeing um, short positioning in most like the Chinese yuan, the, the yen as well, the Aussie dollar compared to the US dollar. So that's a little different than what you're seeing in other developed and European markets. Um, so I think that's sort of the key story is that there's a little divergence right now, um, even from US markets, but also in Asia itself. Catherine, just you were going to say, let's talk a little bit about uh, more about Japan, quite something. We have uh, the topics at uh, 33 year highs. Yes. Amazing. I mean, really big. We were just looking at a chart the other day and in the office, it just looks like it's going parabolic. Um, it has gone up so much. 
And the way we think about this is as long as policymakers in Japan continue to stay in the same zone and they continue to own such a big part of the market, they become even harder to unwind and thus allowing um, you know, real rates to stay negative, which in the short run just pumps up your equity markets. And then you can see it right there in a chart. <laughs> it's gone up parabolic pretty much. So we, we've got the offshore Chinese currency uh, on the weak side of 7, 701 here at the moment. I uh, uh, haven't seen that since last uh, December. Uh, so it, it could speak to a pronounced weakness in China. I think that's uh, one of the areas that you're going. What, what would you need to see happen in, in China for you to be more positive there? Well, I think the challenge with China, if you think about it right here, people have had a lot of optimism. They've been really hopeful that, you know, the post-COVID recovery is just going to take steam really, really fast. I think it hasn't sped up as much as people would like, because to be honest with you, all the economies are connected. There has been more tightening globally. Um, lower um, Chinese yuan tells us that there's less capital flows. And thus, with less capital flows, you're really just kind of seeing a little bit more tightness, even spilling into um, the Chinese currency as well. So I think that's yeah. sort of a sign that it's really not a closed system. Okay, the CNH 70103 at the moment, the CNY, the onshore closed yesterday at 699.65. Catherine Kaminsky, thank you so much for joining us. Catherine is Chief Research Strategist and Portfolio Manager at Alpha Simplex Group. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.